What do you say about that? Yeah. So it's a happy ending, right? Because the marriages happen, right? And there's a little uh, baby that the Westerns have, right? Yeah. Uh, so Frank Churchill, uh, Western Churchill, has a little baby uh, sister, right? Uh, who is uh, much uh, of the talk over there, right? Now that whole idea of a little baby a girl over there, actually, uh, in the uh, words of Hannah Arendt, and the idea of the the family itself, right, is actually, uh, or the idea of the world and the human condition, as Hannah Arendt says, right, is a kind of a promise to the world, a promise of hope to the world, that the world is going to be changed and the world is going to be better, right? Yeah, so uh, what is interesting and what is important is uh, the, uh, the end of the novel seems to be very hopeful, right? And it's actually holding out the idea that uh, we'll have more women who are different and will take civilization forward, right? That's one way of reading it, right? Yeah, and uh, so you might like to read it. And uh, does it become romantic? Uh, it probably has a lot to do with the idea of uh, a neoclassicism, but also there are the elements of uh, romanticism, right? Yeah, because you have a lot of feeling which is taking place and the feeling which comes up, right? And the whole exchange between Knightley and uh, Emma, right? The idea of the confession. All these, of course, are the tying up, right? And of course, the twist again. And what is interesting is when we talk about fiction, we talk about people like Henry James, right, who is the master of the peripatia, or especially when you have uh, things like the turn of the screw, right? Yeah. So it's uh, a very contorted kind of uh, tale where you get twists everywhere, right? Uh, so over here we find that Austin is actually doing all this thing right from the beginning, and you've got a lot of peripatias everywhere around, right? So uh, that's something I think is important to in our reading of Austin, right? Or our reading of uh, uh, Emma, right? Uh, yeah, Any anything else that you uh, think about the novel, right? Yeah, and of course, uh, you, it's almost ironic and very funny that the person who conducts the marriage is none alter other than Mr. Elton. Right, because he's uh, he's a kind of a priest, right? Yeah, and that's where he, the vicarage is where they have the wedding, right? So I think that's again something that uh, uh, how how would uh, this woman feel, right? How would uh, Harriet feel? Or oh, she's grown over that, right? And when you look at the trajectory of Harriet, right? Do you think that Harriet gains from all her experience? experiences, though they're painful, right? Yeah, she, uh, her first reaction, right, or her emotional reaction is to Robert Martin, right? Yeah, and then, of course, the rationality and the idea of society that uh, uh, Harriet has, or her idea of uh, uh, the conditions of uh, uh, who Harriet should marry, right? is something that is talked about even in the end, okay? Because there's nothing very clearly mentioned, but there is a kind of an accusation of uh, illegitimacy, right? Yeah, so uh, who is illegitimate? And the idea is her father is a big trader, right? So that comes up, right? And the idea of illegitimacy, uh, and as if uh, Emma is uh, actually making a match for an illegitimate uh, person, right? Yeah, that seems to be what it is. It's not mentioned very clear. I don't know, how do you all look at that, right? How do you look at that? Because I, I this is my reading of it, right? Yeah, so illegitimacy becomes a big issue, right? I don't know if that's any more an issue in the world today, right? Because uh, a lot of people don't, I mean, it was not an issue many, many years ago, right? And that's why, uh, this book by James Lane becomes uh, a problematic issue because he is talking about 
Dadaji Konde probably being the uh, father of Sivaji and uh, uh, what happened over there is uh, yeah and that's the, the Marathi joke that he re referred to in the villages of India right and that's why the you have all these uh, Shiv Sena people uh, closing Oxford University press down in Pune etc right yeah so uh, was this a problem right yeah the whole idea of illegitimacy was it an Indian problem or was it a problem that came from somewhere else right but illegitimacy is a big problem over here in the novel, right? And uh, that's uh, what. So actually, Knightley stand, or uh, Knightley doesn't tell us where and how he thinks about uh, uh, Harriet, yeah. But they're concerned about Harriet, right? And uh, the kind of concern that they have is what happens to Harriet, right? Because uh, she's attracted to uh, Robert Martin, right? And that was for a six uh, because of uh, Emma, right? Then she's, uh, she's made a feel for uh, Mr. Elton, right? And that also goes for a six because he's interested in Emma, right? And uh, Emma is not interested in him, as we know, right? And uh, what happens after that is there is uh, the idea of the superior man, right? And one doesn't know whether she's actually... Uh, fallen for Charles uh, Church, uh, Frank Churchill because it looks as if he's a, a knight, at least he's portrayed as a knight in shining armor and the whole gypsy incident which we all talked about quite a bit, right? Yeah, so I think uh, that's uh, important to look at. So he's probably one of the people that she's also had a crush on but she's been wiser because of the the two other crushes that she had always made one was she had one was she was made to have right and then the question is uh, did she have a crush on Frank Churchill or not that we don't quite know right so uh, you might like to uh, uh, think about it and do we know about it at all she denies it and then she says and maybe she actually feels it and denies it right so all those things are blanks in the text right and uh, we are dealing with this idea of probability over there, right? We don't know it for absolute certain, right? And uh, these are texts, of course, and these are imaginary characters, right? So we don't know really for absolute certainty because we don't have textual evidence or we don't have the character actually saying that, you know, I love uh, Frank Churchill and all that. But she talks about Knightley, and when she talks about Knightley, she's, he's a kind of superior man who is become the kind of uh, uh, man that is desirable according to Emma's standards, right? Yeah, and uh, that's what she's supposed to look for, Some, a person who's superior and has superior ways of behavior, right? And Frank Churchill is one of the people who's thought to be uh, this kind of a superior man. And what happens over there is that uh, Knightley, of course, thinks differently about him and is very suspicious about his designs, right? Yeah, and then of course, you also have Char Frank Churchill and uh, Jane coming in and meeting at the Weston's house, right? And then the question is, the Campbell's place, okay? And Campbell's become very, very interesting because they're looking after all these people who are, uh, who ha who are not quite the mainstream people, right? Like Harriet, uh, like uh, Jane Fairfax, right? Yeah, and also they invite uh, Robert uh, Martin and Harriet over there to their place in London, right? Where all the things take place, right? All the uh, uh, the idea of rekindling the love for Robert Martin takes place, right? Yeah, and that's exactly why everything happens, right? So you might have the Shakespearean Sonnet 116, right, which is interesting, right, and it's talking about this idea that, uh, and it's also uh, dealing with what you call uh, uh, the idea of the chance meeting and how the chance meeting actually comes in a big way into the lives of uh, uh, these two people, right. So, uh, so that's something that you might like to uh, reflect upon. And we are talking about
does Harriet move? Does Harriet? So when we're talking about the growth of character, right? We actually see that there is a lot of change which uh, takes place in the character of Harriet, right? And first of all, we don't know where she comes from, right? So the uh, the, the winding up chapters are actually telling you uh, what happened behind the scenes or somewhat what happened behind the scenes, right? Yep. And this whole idea of the illegitimacy is actually pointing a finger at uh, Emma, right? Because uh, the idea of marriage and background and family background is something that's very important, right? Yep. And at least you have to tell the person concerned or the person's concerned that look, this person is uh, at least that that would be a moral kind of stand because otherwise it would amount to cheating, right? Yeah, because marriage, whatever it is, is a kind of a contract, right? Uh, people might like to deny it and say, no, it's not a contract and what it is, what is it, right? Because we get into contracts with everybody uh, even if we say good morning and good evening, those are contracts, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So the idea is uh, contracts are not always written, right? Uh, when you meet somebody uh, and you you start talking to them, you get into a relationship with them. What, however slight the relationship might be, of course, today's word the relationship is got uh, a, a man and a woman having a relationship is something else, right? I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about human relationships, right? Whether it's a man and a woman, a man and a man, and uh, not sexually. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I'm not even talking about the, the idea of the sexual, right? Yeah, so, well, whether it's sexual or not, that's part of the relationship, right? And uh, the idea of the sexual and the genital and all those things are not really talked about in the novel, right? Of course, there is a lot of the idea of sexuality, right? Or sexuality is hinted at, when we're talking about Box Hill and the idea of uh, the flirtation between Emma and Charles, right? Yep, which of course uh, takes the novel in a different direction, right? Yep, but the idea of uh, uh, relating to people is talked about at the emotional level, right? And where actually relationships happen, right? Yes, yeah, so you might like to say that, well, it's only uh, Freud, after Freud, everything. Uh, love and sex are equated, right? Yeah, but uh, this is not probably the case over here and that's why reading novels historically is important, right? Because when we look at the novel, you find that uh, this is a novel which doesn't really talk about sexuality, right? Yeah, uh, maybe Mansfield Park, you get some kind of Freudian symbols of uh, sexuality when uh, Fanny's dress is torn when she's climbing over the fence and all that kind of thing, right? So you might get all that kind of uh, transferred uh, uh, eroticism into the text, right? Yeah, but over here, uh, that's the only scene is the boxer party, which is the idea of uh, uh, the pagos, right? Or the idea of going uh, into nature and uh, the idea of uh, nature ha having its own designs and the idea of what is natural and what is not natural and that becomes also a topic of discourse when uh, uh, Knightley says you can come and eat at home because that's the natural position, right? Yeah, you can dine inside and you can have your uh, picnic outside, right? So the question is what is natural actually gets thrown up, right? And uh, so that becomes an issue because the idea of nature versus, versus culture is uh, a big theme uh, in literature and in philosophy, right? Yeah. So the question is, what is nature, what is culture, right? And we still have all these issues, especially in sociology, right? So we're talking about the natural, what is natural, right? And what is naturalized, right? So uh, the idea of patriarchy being naturalized and not natural, right, is something that we think about in the novel, right? Yeah. And the idea that Emma changes, right? And Emma changes on something that she's held for almost all her life, right? When she agrees to marry uh, Natalie, right? So that's a big change, right? She's been against marriage, right? And they have to think about Miss, uh, Mr. Woodhouse, right? And also there's a, a big change in this idea of the patriarchy, right? Where the woman has to adapt, the woman has to change, the woman has to move out from uh, her house 
or a parent's house or a father's house, whichever way you want to put it, right, to uh, the husband's house uh, or whatever that is, right, yep. And of course, what happens over here is something uh, tremendously important and at that point of time, Nigel agrees to move to uh, the house uh, to uh, Hartfield, right, yeah. Uh, and of course, the, the reasons are that he's a friend of and uh, Mr. What's, uh, Mr. What's his name? Woodhouse, yeah, yeah. Mr. Woodhouse likes the company of Knightley, etc., etc. It might be nice to like somebody's company, right, on a visit, right, but to stay with him may not be nice. And that kind of uh, question is not talked about quite. Uh, not quite talked about, right? Yeah. So that's something that we might like to think about. Yeah. And the idea of how Emma changes her plans about uh, uh, Henry, right? Yeah. Henry, who's a nephew, right? And how the uh, the idea of attachment changes, right? Now, what happens to the properties? I don't know, and that's not spoken about, right? Because Hartfield is also a property, and what happens to Emma is 30,000 pounds and what happens to Donwell, right? They're talking about uh, William Larkin looking after Donwell and that other woman, I'm sorry, I've forgotten her name, right? Who is a cook, right? Uh, yeah, so she's probably going to move up here, right? And look after the uh, arrangements, right? Yeah, so all those things uh, are questions, right? What do they do? And this is a big question, right? Property is a big question, right? Uh, and in real life and in the novel, it becomes a big issue, right? And that's something that's not talked about, that's not dealt with, right? And uh, that's just left for maybe, uh, it's just left without actually tackling it, right? But there's a question about it, right? Because uh, do these people move to uh, Hartfield and give up uh, Donwell? Or do they give Donwell to of uh, John Knightley and Isabel and family, right? Yeah, so uh, that's a question which is not answered, right? Does primogeniture still exist or do they abdicate from their property or are they still attached to their property, right? Now, uh, George Knightley, you can't make out all that because he's a, a very uh, down-to-earth practical kind of man, right? By and large. And uh, he's also got, he's, well, he's still the kind of the largest character over there, though he has some, uh, uh, some kind of uh, reservations about this man called Frank uh, Western Churchill, right? Yeah. And, and that doesn't go up till the end of the novel, right? So he's still got that, except when he sees the letter, he says, well, he might change and all those kind of things. And he's quite benign and he calls him a liberal and all this very, very interesting things that he says about Frank Churchill, right? But he's still quite doubtful about Frank Churchill, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so all that kind of uh, very important shifts are taking place uh, through the novel. Though by and large, Knightley doesn't change, right? Yeah. And uh, we come to know that the, the piano fort, as I said yesterday, I think, uh, is actually Frank's gift, right? Though it goes around as Dixon and it goes around as all those things, right? So you have uh, a lot of suspicion and how does the suspicion uh, get aroused, right? And all the tensions and conflicts are solved, right? And especially when Jane comes down and uh, behaves very nicely to, towards Emma, right? When she goes to congratulate her, right? And then the question is uh, the congratulations for Emma. Right, so that's the the last bit. Right, so uh, it looks like the mood of the novel at the end, right, is very uh, upbeat. Right, it's talking about marriages. It's talking about a new life, a new, a new hope, a new dawn, a new life. All those kind of things are implied when we come to the end. Right, and the tying up of edges. Right, and of course there's something that's very uncomfortable. Right. Because the idea of illegitimacy is brought up, right? And it's also that uh, Robert Martin uh, is shown as a much higher character than he naturally, uh, than he normally is, 
right? Yeah, because uh, Jane tries to let him down, to run him down and sh uh, show that he is a rough kind of gentleman farmer who's actually come up from the rocks, right? Yeah, but, um, uh, and it's Knightley who says that he's, uh, uh, I mean, what what is Harriet compared to him, right? Yeah, so, uh, so actually, uh, Knightley also says that he's been talking to Hamlet, uh, to Harriet, uh, and uh, come to know that she's still very much uh, in uh, in love with Knight with uh, Robert Martin, right? Yeah. So I think uh, all these little bits are very important to look into, right? And uh, uh, I don't know how you respond to the novel, but when we're looking at it, uh, it's 200 years since the novel. And we're still talking about it, uh, and we find that all these things. Uh, how much have novels changed, right? Except in the 20th century, when you have all these real innovations that take place with the stream of consciousness technique, and uh, the yeah Henry James, James Joyce, uh, the idea, the Bildungsroman, the, the influence of the European novel on the English novel, right? All those things happen in the 20th century, right? But this novel still stands out and even after 200 years it's very well written right because every chapter is very carefully planned out right and it of course we have rooms for uh, questioning right what happens to property what happens to money right yeah and um, how does how does emma change right but the, the fact is that emma changes harriet changes right yeah and these characters actually grow in the novel Right, and also you have uh, Miss Taylor becoming Mrs. Weston, right? And she's also changed because, uh, and you notice the changes that happen to her, right? First of all, moving out of the Westons, uh, of the out of Hartfield to Randalls, right? Uh, that's one change. Then the other change that you have is uh, her uh, actually gossiping about. Uh, Jane Fairfax, right, at the party, right, and the question about the piano and all that kind of thing, right. So, and then we come to know that she's the person who actually has instructed uh, uh, Emma, right, yeah. And the question is also, yeah, so uh, she changes quite a bit, right, and then she and her relationship with her, what they call uh, son-in-law, but not son-in-law, it's the stepson. Right? Yeah. So that's Frank Churchill, right? Is something that is uh, a warm kind of friendship. And very, yeah, so uh, it's not that all stepmothers are horrible as some of the fairy tales paint them, right? Yeah. But uh, you have this uh, stepmother who is not threatened by uh, Frank Churchill. Perhaps, and if you look at it from a Marxist point of view, Right or the idea of property and material point of view, right? You have Mr. Churchill uh, uh, agreeing to the marriage, right? Okay, so you have two fathers. One is the biological father and one is the cultural father, right? Yeah, and uh, the tension between them we don't know, right? Yeah, but the cultural mother we know, right? That is Mrs. Churchill, right? So she is the cultural mother. The real mother is dead. Right? And then there is the stepmother, right? So, uh, actually Frank has three mothers and two fathers, right? And one is the cultural father, one is the biological father, and the question is, uh, how much does he gain from the cultural father, right? And uh, what is the stake of the cultural father, right? Yeah, so the cultural father and the permission of the cultural father, does that permission count? Yeah, perhaps it did 200 years ago, right? Yeah, and uh, permissions counted on both sides. Maybe permissions didn't count normally for from the man's side, right? Uh, I don't uh, know about it, but I think that would be the the normal patriarchal order, right? But uh, when the woman uh, is talking about getting married, right, then the permission comes, right? And of course, what happens with Harriet? Emma becomes a kind of a a, a surrogate mother, right, or a foster mother, right, because she's actually taking her through the idea of uh, her decisions about marriage, right. So that's again something very complex about Emma's character, 
right? Uh, as uh, the novel takes it through, and it's also complex about uh, Harry, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's something that Harriet cannot hold her own, at least in the beginning of the novel, right? She, yeah. So she uh, she thinks that well, this is culture. This is how I have to behave, right? And then after some time, when you when she, uh, you have the conversation about uh, Frank, right? Then you actually come to know that there is a different Harriet which is talking, right? And she says, no, okay, whether it's true or false, we don't know, right? And to take her words and say that, well, she says so, and the character says so, uh, yeah, uh, we can't uh, decide that whether it's true or false, right? But uh, she definitely holds a ground and she says, well, it's not Frank, it's Knightley, and I, I am interested in Knightley and all those kind of things, right? Yeah. So that's, uh, and Knightley seems to be a possibility because it looks as if he's uh, probably in mismarriage, right? And he's probably going to be an eternal bachelor at that point in the novel, right? Yeah. And then, of course, things change uh, when he actually talks about Emma and uh, talks to Emma and uh, all those kind of things that happen between them, right? Which uh, act the, the Frank's. Uh, principally Frank's kind of thing, right? And the concern about Emma, and you get Emma's interior uh, being, which says, well, uh, what if I just knock this out and say that I'm not interested in marrying, I'm never going to marry you, etc., right? The narrative would change, right? So I think that's also very interesting about Jane Austen's narrative style and narrative strategy, right? She's saying, these are the possibilities, right? I can do this. I can actually, as a writer, uh, throw Frank, uh, throw uh, George Knightley out, right? And if I throw George Knightley out, the outcome will be different, right? Yeah? And Harriet will probably marry George Knightley, right? Okay, that's one of the things, but uh, it looks like uh, George Knightley is a kind, kind of a very prejudiced person as far as the idea of the aristocracy is concerned, right? At one level, right? Uh, so, would he marry Harriet? He might have brought the illegitimacy bit in, yeah? Uh, or he might have brought this idea of who is Harriet, where does she come from, which he says right in the beginning, right? Yeah? So then the question is, uh, as we have in India today, people have issues with caste, right? And they don't, um, they don't have uh, any issues having sex with people from the, uh, another caste, but when it comes to marriage, no. It's okay. So the marriage and uh, the sexuality is are two different things, right? Yeah. So uh, I think uh, uh, with India in mind, and the, the aristocrats also have this idea, and this is uh, a classic tradition. Whether you have Wordsworth or you have Goethe, or yeah, and all these uh, very famous uh, artists, right, have had affairs with the uh, working class women and had uh, illegitimate children by them, right? Yeah, and that's what uh, even Oscar Wilde takes up in this play called A Woman of No Importance, right? Yeah, where the man promises the woman and assures her that uh, they will get married, but then he runs her down because of class, right? Yeah, so in India it might be class and caste, right? But uh, what happens over there is it's more because of class, it's uh, more because of culture, it's more because of class, all those kind of things which take place, right? Yeah, and of course, uh, that uh, marriage across these barriers is possible, right? Is something that's still very much there, right? Because uh, they believe in equality much more than we do, right? So the idea of justice is again something that is uh, uh, spiked up by the, the French Revolution. Right, and justice comes in about Harriet quite a number of times. Right, will we be doing the just thing for Harriet? Right, and Emma is still bothered about the idea of justice. Right, so when we're talking about characters uh, and the idea of the personhood and character, uh, yeah, and I don't know whether we're talking about them in the same kind of breath. Right, but when we're talking about personhood and character, uh, the question is. This is an element of personhood which comes in, or what you call Englishness, which comes in uh, at this point of time in the novel, 
right? Yeah, in the novel and perhaps in English life also, right? Uh, yeah, because the idea of uh, being just too is not that justice is a new idea, right? Because you get the Bible, which perhaps by this time many people actually read, right? Yeah, uh, though it's you don't have many quotations from the Bible over here or any quotation from the Bible, right? But uh, so you actually have the idea of justice in a letter by James in the Bible, which I found very strange and funny, right? The idea of the high and the low and equality and justice, right? Ambedkar says he gets it from Buddhism, right? And if that was true, then uh, India would have been uh, one of the first leading countries uh, to claim equality, right? And we would have had social equality much before we had uh, political equality, right? And we don't have any of them today, right? Yeah, so these are things that, of course, theoretically and legally, we're supposed to be having equality, right? We're supposed to be having justice. We're supposed to be having uh, liberty, right? All those are in the book, in the Constitution. But how much does it happen in real life? That is to be negotiated, right? Yeah, so there's no, there's no really... Uh, there's no real claim about this idea that one can uh, demand all these uh, important kinds of values, right? So, yeah, so that's something else that happens and you see that with the slave trade and you see that with the idea of, yeah, so the, the suspicion between the aristocrats and the traders or the businessmen is something that you actually find, right? Uh, the farmers, right? Uh, the, the farmers have newly come up, like Robert Martin, right? So that's something that you find is a problem, right? And the idea that uh, is quite happy that Harriet marries this uh, uh, Robert Martin and uh, uh, Robert Martin is happy about it, right? And Robert Martin comes out as a great, greater character, though we don't know very much about it, right? But uh, whether he knows that uh, Harriet is legitimate or not, uh, we don't know, right? But uh, this is something that's interesting because uh, he's not a, he's not bothered about what's your background, right? Yeah, uh, he's, uh, in India people would ask what's your caste, what's your uh, what's your father doing, or what's your father's position, or what what's your mother's position and your father's position, and does your mother work, and does your father work, and all those kind of questions. And these questions are not important, right? And that's what is still a, a big spirit that you have in, uh, uh, they, they wouldn't care whether you're black or white. If they love you, uh, they would marry you, right? Yeah, so that's something that's very important uh, in uh, Europe and in the United States also, right? Yeah, do you have a lot of discrimination, but this is something that is important. Yeah, do you have a question? Yes, sir. Yeah, please interrupt me, okay? You have every right to do that. Yes, sir. I wanted to know if it's true or not. I read it somewhere that Jane Austen could not unite with love of her life. And that is the reason why she made sure that in her novels, her characters at the end ended up marrying each other or like ended up happily marrying the love of their lives. Is it true? Uh, I don't know. And uh, I mean, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, right? But I don't know anything about that, right? And that's a kind of criticism uh, which I uh, do not subscribe to at all, right? Yeah, because it's a question of uh, this kind of romantic kind of criticism, which is biographical criticism, right? Yeah, and unfortunately, people are uh, getting to that, right? Instead of reading the text and looking at the text and seeing how the text works, right? Uh, so you also have a lot of false stories which are circulated. Some of them may be true, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for instance, I went to the Bronte Parsonage, yeah, because I was uh, in the area, not because I wanted to go there at all. I went to see a cousin of mine and she said, well, we are in Bronte country, we must go around the place, right? So we got in a bus and the, the bus fare was very, very cheap. Right? So we all got on a bus and we went there and that's Beatrix Potter country and it's also Bronte country. Right? And I actually went and saw the room uh, where the Brontes lived. Right? And of course this friend of mine uh, who was dealing with madness 
feminism and madness. So, uh, women and uh, women and mad- gendering madness. His topic was gendering madness and insanity in JNF, right? Yeah, and he was actually uh, he was telling me how the Bronte sisters uh, uh, entertain themselves by dancing around the table, right? Yeah, uh, in the hall, right? And when you actually see the table and you actually see the room, it's a very very small room, right? And you begin to wonder. Uh, all most rooms are small, right? Yeah, you actually begin to wonder. How do they even dance around the table, right? Yeah, and uh, that's all that they could do. And maybe many other people in England had to do that, right? Now, well, that's an interesting part uh, if you want to look uh, at this kind of biograph- biographical criticism, right? And the idea of uh, realism and a personal romantic. What you're doing is what you call the the writer writing its uh, own person into the novel, right? So that's something. Uh, uh, from the critical angle that you're doing, right? And uh, the question is, uh, you also have a lot of people saying, well, this person was influenced by this, right? And this writer influenced them, right? Maybe you have proof of that, right? But then uh, what, uh, like for instance, you might have uh, an epigraph of uh, Hart Crane, yeah? Uh, in a Tennessee Williams Streetcar Named Desire, right? I came into the broken world and all that kind of thing, right? And then you begin to say, well, Hart Crane was homosexual, Tennessee Williams was homosexual, and that, all that kind of thing, right? Like, if you read the biography by uh, Donald Sporto of Tennessee Williams, right? He'll show you that uh, Tennessee Williams, uh, uh, Hart Crane carried this photograph of... Uh, Walt Whitman, right? Yeah. And uh, Tennessee Williams carries this photograph of Hart Crane, right? So you have all those kind of things, right? So that's a kind of a bridge, right? And uh, bridge poets, uh, that's uh, Walt Whitman is called a bridge poet, Brooklyn Bridge and all that, right? Yeah. And uh, 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 Hart Crane writes a, a whole uh, book of poetry called The Bridge, right? Yeah which is very, very interesting kind of poetry, right? Of course, uh, Walt Whitman and Tennessee Williams don't commit suicide. Hart Crane does, right? Yeah, so the whole idea of, uh, and uh, maybe all three of them are homosexual, and yeah, we don't know, I don't know very much about uh, Whitman's uh, relationship with mother, right? But Hart Crane has a lot of problems, Tennessee Williams has a lot of problems with his father, Right, so that's why they become homosexual. Now, Tennessee Williams does this thing of writing himself into the plays after the modernist kind of movement, which is something that the Romantics do, right? Yeah. So after modernism, after Victorianism and modernism, right? He he does this thing, and almost every play of his has his own kind of personal story, right? So that's what Sporto says about him in his biography, right? Because it's a literary biography, right? He's talking about uh, the sex party that uh, the father has, which uh, affects his sister Rose very badly, and she has a mental breakdown, right? And then after that, they have a lobotomy on her, right? And she uh, keeps going into mental hospitals and coming out, right? And the whole thing of Stanley Kowalski raping uh, Blanche, right? Uh, in a streetcar named Desire, right? Is also what happens uh, in real life because uh, perhaps happens in real life because nobody knows, right? Uh, so this father and daughter left one day alone, right? She's come back from the mental hospital and she says, that, well, he raped me and then nobody knows whether it's true or not, right? Yeah, so, and that's exactly what happens in Streetcar Named Desire. If you read, uh, read the play, right? You're not able to judge whether it's right or wrong because Blanche is already uh, lost it. Right? Yeah. And she's going to be taken and put in a mental hospital. Right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, well, whether Jane Austen actually did that or not, yeah, that might be a kind of biographical criticism. Right? And I don't pay much attention to that. Right? I don't care about Jane Austen at all. Right? Yeah. And if I care about Jane Austen, I care about her style of writing. Yeah. That's all that concerns me. Right? And I don't care whether. I mean, it might be a question of curiosity. 
Uh, oops, right. Mm, the screen saver is playing. Yeah, it might be a question of curiosity, right? And it might satisfy more curiosity of mine whether she was married, whether she had a boyfriend, okay, or whether she was in love with somebody, right? Or the other thing which is probably even more interesting, uh, psychological criticism where you, you can say that look, this is, uh, uh, you actually look at uh, Jane Austen, uh, maybe bad psychological criticism, right? Uh, or psychoanalytical criticism because you look at Emma as a kind of remake of Jane Austen, right? Yeah, and the whole idea of self-disgust, right? Because uh, somewhere it's written that she's talking about uh, I'm going to make a character who is going to be absolutely disgusting and everybody will be fascinated by her and disgusting, disgusted by her and all those kind of things, right? So you get all that from a writing, right? Yeah. Now, is that self-loathing of Jane Austen, right? Can we say that? Can we as responsible critics say that, right? That Jane Austen is actually doing this. And this is the kind of things I'll still get in the answers. So <laughs> I'll be tortured, but never mind. Yeah, but I think we have to be a little more responsible there. And I don't know if you want to say that uh, that is so, right? It might be, but you'll have to read all the novels and see what happens, no? right? Yeah, the idea of uh, the relationship, the idea of marriage, and you'll have to actually go and see how marriages operated and how marriages were conducted, right? Yeah. So, is a marriage, does a marriage happen because of love, right? Yeah, in most of the cases, yes. In in uh, the UK, right? And uh, in India, of course, there very few cases, right? Or there may be more cases, right? So, the question is, uh, this, of course, is European. Uh, you have this idea of love for a long time. Yeah, right? So the chance meeting is actually something that is interesting, right? And the idea of uh, the individual is not really coming up only in the Romantic age, but it goes back to the medieval age, right? Yeah. So, of course, uh, theoretically and uh, according to psychology, you might place it at the... Uh, the when Descartes writes his meditations and cogito ergo sum and all that, but remember that Shakespeare is writing before Descartes says all that, right? Shakespeare dies in 1616 and Descartes makes his pronouncement in 1619, right? And you look at uh, Shakespeare's plays, they're actually talking about the interior self, they're talking about the individual, they're talking about all these things, right? So these things were probably already there, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I don't know whether I've answered your question, but uh, you you might you have every right to find out uh, evidence and see whether that's true or not, right? But then that's assumption, no? right? Yeah, because uh, you might ask somebody, why are you not married, right? Yeah, and uh, well, there are different things that one can say. One can say that this person is a is gay or lesbian, right? Yeah, or uh, this person is bothered uh, bothered about. Uh, had to look after the family, right? Yeah, which seems to be the case over here in the text, right? Emma has to look after uh, Mr. Woodhouse, right? Without thinking. So, one is, you can say, what a heroic woman she is, right? She's actually uh, going to look after her father and that's why she doesn't choose marriage. She chooses a father over marriage, yeah? Uh, yeah. Uh, do we not do... Uh, yeah, can you say it out... Yeah, oh yeah, I'll, I'll look for this. Uh, but we not in a biographical reading of Pallavi's childhood Pardon? I didn't get you? Uh, no, you said that uh, you don't want to subscribe to biographical criticism. Yeah. yeah. So, I was just thinking about Dalgur's travels and how we approached it. We talked about Swift and all of that. So, what we're watching the but but did we have a biographical reading? No. We didn't have a biographical reading, right? Yeah? When we say that it took off from Surat, right? Yeah? We we might say that he these are the texts that he read, right? But did we talk about him biographically? I don't know. I haven't I don't know enough about Swift to talk about him uh, uh, talk about him biographically. Right? Yeah? 
so uh, we we did talk about the psychoanalytical right yeah we talked okay and that's norman of brown's essay which i haven't given you and i feel bad about it but i will do it i will xerox it uh, scan it because my cat has uh, removed my scanner from my all the software of my scanner so i have to reload it right uh, yeah so uh, yeah i have to do that right so is that biographical yes uh psychoanalytical that norman brown is doing some psychoanalytical criticism and i thank you for that question right because uh it's important that we think about that and please ask questions against me right otherwise we can't learn right yeah and uh, yes what you're saying is right over there right because uh swift's uh the the way norman brown deals with swift and the psychoanalytical stuff of writing is actually trying to analyze swift psychoanalytically by writing yeah so maybe i'm wrong over there right so the idea of the biographical and the psychoanalytical right yeah so well yeah so that's something else right so we don't know i mean i uh, the psychoanalytical is uh, more problematic because how many of us have read uh, freud and are practicing a uh, psychoanalyst right yeah we might find some counselors right but psychoanalysis is something else right yeah and i don't know how many people are trained in psychoanalysis in the first place right yeah and uh, what goes as psychoanalytical criticism uh many people might uh, look for symbols right like for instance uh, norman o brown is looking for uh, the tail of the tub right and the tub become sexual symbol right yeah uh yeah so you have uh, all those kind of things which are happening right and we do that also in feminist criticism where we talk about phallic images right uh, or we even look at eliot's wasteland and we talk about the idea of falling towers right and the the towers mean uh, the phallus right yeah or every kind of uh, it's talking about male power and all those kind of things right yeah so that that is true right but uh, and how we apply it is uh, a kind of uh, yeah so yes you can have all that i'm not saying no right so well you can do that right uh, provided it's responsible right and provided uh, you're taking um, uh, you you well into what you you know what you're doing right uh, interestingly when we're talking about st john right yeah so st john is supposed to hear the voices of Cath- st catherine and st michael whatever whatever i don't remember who she is right now how can you analyze her and say that she was a mad woman right yeah right so in today's world she would be considered a mad woman right it reminds me of uh, have you seen la frontiere's uh, breaking the waves right yeah and when we were having a discussion of it many years ago in pune university when i was doing my phd right uh, and there were a lot of ma students who were taking film and literature and that was a film festival right yeah so you have this woman uh, talking to god right yeah and you have all that confessional mode which we talk about right and one of the students actually asked this question said well is this woman mad right yeah and we said no okay this is the idea of her relationship with god right so is anybody talking to god a mad person right yeah or would you call that mad right so when you have saint john hearing the voices of saint michael and uh, saint catherine whoever the uh, yeah, i don't remember that right the question is can you psychoanalyze her and say that she's mad right yeah or can you take any saint uh, and yeah so that's a question huh? it's i'm not i'm not siding people who uh say that well she's mad or i'm not siding people who say that uh uh she's not mad right yeah so the question is people who believe in god might say well she's actually talking to god or she actually hears the voices and there are many people who actually believe that i may not believe that right yeah and you don't have to take me uh at my word because i do not know all these things i have not seen a ghost right yeah and uh, i haven't heard voices right and what do you mean by a voice that becomes a question right yeah so if you take st john is st john telling lies is she deluded right all these questions uh, have been 
and Shaw puts them in this play. You've read the play, right? Yeah. So Shaw actually puts it in the play, right? Yeah. So he's using all the kind of modern devices and he's putting modern language and that's why it's a modern play. You must, uh, I've already dealt with that, right? Because he's using all these modern uh, techniques of talking about character, of talking about a person, of dealing with uh, uh, the ideas of people, right? He puts nationalism and all those kind of things into Joan's mouth, right? Yeah. And that becomes a problem, right? The uh, idea of the English nation and all that, when there was no nationalism at all, right? Yeah. Uh, so all those are very interesting ways. So when you read the play, you read it from a political modern point of view, you read it from a psychoanalytical modern point of view, right? And the idea is uh, he puts all these things into the mouth of all those characters who are medieval people, right? And uh, seem to have access to all the modern ways of thinking, right? And that's why that play becomes a modern, uh, modern drama, right? So you have St. Joan as a, a romantic drama, that's Schiller's St. Joan, right? Yeah. And uh, Joan of Arc, right? And you have, uh, I don't know whether they would call her, Schiller would call her a saint. She's not a saint then, right? Uh, but she was made a saint in Shaw's time, right? So Schiller, might, they might have just talked about the Maid of Orleans. They might have called her, uh, the, uh, yeah, Joan of Arc, right? But uh, uh, Shaw calls her, uh, St. Joan and Bresh calls her St. Joan of the Stockyards, right? So you can read Bresh also and look at how different people dream with the same theme, right? Uh, and of course, the age is important, right? Like for instance, even in Indian writing, if you have heard of this Bhakti poet called Tukaram, yeah, you have uh, English translations by English people of him, right? And you have a modern uh, poet, uh, with modern theory and modern history and all that kind of thing, like uh, Dilip Chitre, right? Yeah, who's traveled all around the world, right? Yeah, right. Is it time? Okay, right. Uh, yeah. So people like Dilip Chitre, right, is actually. Uh, I'll just finish this. Yeah, is actually looking, giving an existential reading in his translation to Tukaram, right? So is that justified or is it not? Right? So some people say, yes, translation is uh, a different uh, creation, right? And other people say, no, right? It's doing terrible injustice to Tukaram because how does Tukaram uh, become an existentialist, right? So if I write a play about Tukaram, right, and I make Tukaram an existentialist in that play, right, then it's a different story, right? Because that's my creative work, right? But is it okay in a translation to make Tukaram into an existentialist, right? So these are issues uh, that are important, right? And uh, we'll begin with uh, Dickens tomorrow. If there are any questions, uh, you can uh, send them to me and we can either have a podcast on it or whatever, right? Yeah, because I'm sorry, uh, I rushed through this text, uh, though, uh, and we have to rush through the uh, other text too, right? Yeah, so that's practical considerations. And of course, uh, I'm sorry, I'm one of the impractical uh, crackpots around the place. So I don't know. Uh, I hope uh, people will forgive me for being cracked and going on in a very slow manner. Right? Yeah. But my considerations are, uh, if I'm going to be judged like St. John, right? There are a lot of people who can't even read the text or haven't read the text even now. Right? So it's important that I uh, actually spell a lot of these things out so that at least... Uh, they might be induced to reading the text and finding out things, right? Yeah. So thank you very much. And I'm closing there.